Hey, welcome to episode 82 of the Hockey Free For All podcast. I am your host, Stephen Stiles, and it's nearly the end of calendar 2023. Absolutely amazing with how fast this year has actually gone by. So, as I mentioned, we're going to wrap up the year talking about some prospects and maybe even from a different perspective than maybe prospects are usually talked about. For example, regarding left defensive prospect Jaden Struble. I don't find it surprising at all how quickly his game has transitioned to the NHL level. I really don't. His game was too advanced, if you will, and that's kind of a weird way to put it when he was at Northeastern. And I say too advanced not because he had mad skills or you know off-the-board capabilities and things like that. Rather, his physical development, where he was at was a player, it's like he was playing with people several years younger than him. He was just that much more physically developed, and his game had taken on a style much more pro style than a lot of prospects do, especially at the levels of things such as sophomore levels. Because he was really ready to come out of Northeastern after his sophomore year. I'm glad he finished his junior and senior years. It gave him even more time to prepare for the rigors of the NHL, which was the main concern about him as he was coming out of Northeastern was, could he stay injury-free? Could he stay healthy to be a major part of an NHL team? Because his game was never in question. He played a simple defensive game. But that being said, he also played so physically that it caused him a lot of injuries. And I think part of the problem for him with his injuries was that he literally had to pull up or had to not quite follow through because of his advanced physical development. And that's a weird way to create injuries, but it does. If you always have to pull up and you can't follow through, you take a chance in pulling something. You take a chance in stretching a ligament, having tendon issues, whatever it might be, not being able to follow through is as bad as something like from getting hit behind or, you know, getting hit blindsided or something like that. That also is a way to cause injuries is when you can't follow through and you always have to pull up because you're so much stronger than or if you follow through, you're likely to injure a player or you're likely to get called for a penalty and put your team at a disadvantage. That causes a lot of hesitation in your game and hesitation can cause injuries and that's not good either. But the fact that Jaden Struble has come up from Lavelle, which fortunately the injuries that he was suffering from during his college playing careers neither followed him to the AHL or to the NHL level. But the fact that he's come up and played seamlessly, fit right in, like he's been playing for the Canadians already, kind of similar in that respect to what Jordan Harris did last year during his first games with the Florida Panthers. He came in, interviewed, played like, was a part of the team, like he'd been there all season long. And some players just have those abilities. There's not this like period of time where they have to adjust or get used to. They were really well prepared. And that is a signature ability or skill of players drafted by Montreal recently is that they're actually ready. Because for years, one of the most frustrating things have been either they're not ready when they come out of juniors, they're not ready when they come out of college or NCAA, or they're not even ready when they get called up from Laval and they look out of place. So it's been really nice to see not only Jaden Struble, Jordan Harris, Arbor Jackye, Caden Gooley, a lot of players have come up and just fit right in. More typical of what the Canadians have dealt with is like the inconsistency that Justin Barron has. In, in case anybody thinks I want to just pick on Justin Barron, I don't. But you can clearly see he has some lights out games, looks great. 
Looks like a quarterback on the power play. Looks like an offensive leading defenseman on the team. And there's other nights he looks lost and everything in between. Caden Gooley actually has had some of those games this year. Last year, he didn't seem to have a single game like that. This year, I think he's trying to take on too much too fast and needs to simplify his game. But Justin Barron plays like that on a regular basis. Arbor Jacki hasn't. Jaden Struble hasn't. Jordan Harris hasn't. Jordan Harris's biggest issue is he is smaller than most Montreal Canadian defensemen are. At 5'11", 189 pounds, he's on the smaller side of defense. That being said, a prospect that has really been titled a can't-wait, can't-miss, blue-chip prospect that everybody's waiting for is Lane Hudson. Hopefully, Lane Hudson's abilities and offensive gifts will prevent his size from being a problem in the NHL. Both from a perspective of if you can't catch it, you can't hit it, so he can't get injured, as well as being able to play amongst other players in the league. Does not look like that will even be a remote problem for him. Hopefully it's not, because I'm really, really excited to see what Lane Hudson brings to the Montreal Canadiens. There has not been that kind of excitement around a prospect, let alone a defensive prospect, in a long, long time, and he should play and be just an exceptional part of this rebuild for the Montreal Canadiens. Which brings me to everybody talking about, oh, well, you know, you can't keep Jack Guy and you can't keep Struble both. Sure you can. They make and would make an excellent defensive pair. That being said, I'm going to give a scenario here that I think will be the starting six defenseman in Montreal for at least the next decade. And with everybody that you already have that's come over, let's not forget about David Reinbacher, Logan Mylou, and Lane Hudson, in addition to everybody else. So I think the eventual six, the way it's going to play out, is going to be David Reinbacher with Lane Hudson. Logan Mylou with Caden Gooley, Arbor Jacki, and Jaden Struble. Now, the unfortunate part about that is there's going to be some really, really good prospects that that doesn't leave any room for, and that's a problem. But sometimes you do so well at the draft, sometimes you do so well at finding undrafted players that you end up with too many. And there's a couple of options and ways that that is going to work out. Until they reach an age where they then have the option of unrestricted free agency, Montreal will be able to keep them. But eventually, they're going to go their own way because they know how good they are and they want a shot at a regular NHL job. Who wouldn't? So it's going to affect players like Adam Ingstrom. It's going to affect players like Matthias Nordstrom. It's going to affect players like Jordan Harris, which is the one that I really feel unfortunate for. But I'm not ready to write off Jordan Harris if he's not ready to be one of the starting six defensemen. And when I say be ready as far as not being pushed out by the other six, I think there's an opportunity for Jordan Harris in a multiple of roles on the Montreal Canadiens. He could be a defenseman. I think he could be a fourth-line offensive player. With his skating ability, his transition game, his defensive play, his ability to pay attention to and know where the opposition is, he might make a hell of a right wing. That experiment has been tried over the years, and it's worked in places like Detroit, Pittsburgh, under coaches like Scotty Bowman, Bob Johnson. And there's also been total catastrophic failures that have occurred in the league with that idea as well. But I think that is too great of a talent just to give up on. And although Montreal has a lot of prospects coming, they haven't had a lot of top-end forwards either. And although their top nine is probably taken or will be taken with the Joshua Roy's, Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, followed by Alex Newhook, Kirby Dock, Yuri Slavkowski, followed by Philip Massar, Owen Beck, and Sean Farrell, although those nine positions are probably taken, it still does leave room for the fourth line. And in today's NHL, unlike a lot of the past, you have to be able to roll four lines. So there might be a spot for him there. If not, then unfortunately, they're probably going to have to trade him, which is 
is unfortunate because I think he's an outstanding young prospect among the many that Montreal has. Now, before I jump into a topic that's always a favorite of mine, which is goaltending, let's talk about Montreal's game last night against the Carolina Hurricanes. I'm just wondering when an issue is going to be addressed for real rather than with lip service. Everybody for years, decades now, has talked about, oh my God, we have to do something about player safety. Players are getting hurt. Children are getting hurt before they reach the pro level. College players are getting hurt. Careers are being ended. I have a real simple question regarding this topic. Does anybody really want to deal with this? Does anybody really want to meet this head on and actually fix it? Or is this just a great thing to look really, really good in public and go, whoa, I care. We should do something about it and just give total lip service but not really do anything about it? Because that's kind of where we're at on this issue. Okay. The way to fix this is not overly difficult at all. It will be harsh. It's going to be real harsh when I lay it out. And there's going to be some pushback from that because they'll go, oh my God, you can't do that. Yeah, actually you can if it's in the name of protecting players and prolonging careers that had no reason to be ended prematurely like this behavior is beginning to lead to. And what I'm referring to is in last night's game against the Carolina Hurricanes, there was a hit by Carolina player Stefan Noson on Montreal left winger Yuri Slavkovsky in the head. Why was there no call? And why, because there's been no call, has the NHL official not been suspended? That's the two-pronged problem in this. There's no accountability on the players, and there's no detriment or risk to officials for just acting like a blind mice or mouse on the field or on the ice. Officiating has gotten horrendous. And the two leagues that come to mind in the forefront of this are the National Hockey League, but the National Hockey League is second to the National Football league every year you got player injuries every year you have season-ending injuries some years you even have career-threatening injuries and yet nothing is done from a consistency standpoint punishment-wise or to actually fundamentally resolve the problem it's just useless rhetoric that oh i'm gonna say i care but we're just gonna sweep this under the rug as soon as the attention goes away well you know what that doesn't do anything for anybody either you're a genuine person or you are a disingenuine person it's one or the other and disingenuine seems to just be reeking through this to a level of offensiveness that is just ridiculous there are so many people that have been disingenuine about this topic and this issue it's like folks as they say either finish your business or get off the pot one of the two i mean there was a lot of ways i could have put that i chose to put that a clean way okay but either do the job or step aside and let somebody else do the job but either way get it done this is resulting in unnecessary injuries and of the least of which puts a team at a disadvantage at the greatest amount threatens a player's career and livelihood and health You tell me what's more important amongst those options. And before I get to the very obvious solution that's staring people right in the face of how to deal and correct this problem, this is exactly what I was talking about from before last season, through last season, through this season, to the time that he got sent down to Lavelle. This is exactly why Montreal needs, and I believe that this player is the MVP of the team, more than Cole Caulfield, more than Nick Suzuki, more than Kirby Dock, Caden Gooley, take your other pick of a player, Arbor Akjai is the MVP of the Montreal Canadiens. And the reason that I say that is he is the presence, on Montreal at least, 
that eliminates this problem from happening. And a lot of people, it's like, oh, so you want an enforcer, you want a fighter. No, Arbor Akjai is not an enforcer. If anybody has ever gotten confused about Arbor Akjai being a modern version of Stu Grimson or Marty McSorley, that person by definition should be titled a moron, okay? Because he's not. He's never played an enforcer role or anything else. What he brings, in addition to being a solid defenseman who was an undrafted walk-on both at the OHL junior level and the NHL level, who plays a solid game, skates tremendously, especially for a person with his stature, build, and body type, can generate offensive production beyond expectation, but he brings a formidable intimidation to the game. And he clearly cares about and stands up for his teammates, who is the type of player that Montreal has lacked since Chris Nyland. Maybe you can throw in Lyle Odlin. Maybe you can throw in John Cordick. But Chris Nyland was the last team guy like that. And Nyland was the ultimate team player that cared about his group. Okay, And that intimidation that Jack Eye brings, brings a calmness to the game and keeps the opposition in check and in their place and prevents crap like that from happening in the game because then they know there's somebody to answer to. And I'm not saying this is an opportunity to promote violence or that violence is part of the game. This is how the game polices itself. Not all the other ridiculous public statements of how the game polices itself, but this is how players take care of one another and let people know when lines have been crossed. And that's why I say there's definitely room for not only Arbor Jack Guy, but for Jaden Struble and eventually Florian Jackeye, Arbor Jackeye's brother, will have that and provide that offensive presence like Chris Nyland did. And by the way, just for those that aren't following it, Florian Jackeye is six foot three, approaching 220 pounds. Okay, he'll be able to take care of anything that presents itself in the NHL, just like his brother Arbor can. So, getting back to the extremely obvious solution that I talked about. This isn't a hard thing to figure out. This is not a hard thing to resolve. It really isn't. I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, how do you deal with that? It's so complex. Not really. People generally make things difficult. Innate things aren't that difficult. It's when you add the complexity of stupidity, personal preference, all that, where things go awry really fast. So how do you take care of it? Well, as soon as the league championship of whatever sport we're talking about, hockey, football, whatever it is, has been won, that following Monday, before anybody goes on vacation, before anybody breaks for the offseason or anything else, there's one more mandatory responsibility. And that is, you are going to be flown to the most centrally located city of your sport. That way, everybody has equal flying time. You're not flying anybody all the way from the east to the west coast, all the way from the west coast to the east coast, all the way from the southeastern United States up into central Canada or something. You're going to find the most central city, whatever that is. It has nothing to do with if it has the most food clubs or nightclubs or anything else. This is for a mandatory meeting to end this issue. And the only thing on the docket, it's not going to get turned into something extra. It's not going to be taken advantage of. This meeting that's mandatory is about player safety, cause, effect, and what's going to be the applied discipline. It begins with, if you blindside a player, hit a defenseless player, hit a player from behind, or from a direction that they couldn't see you, were blocked from seeing you, couldn't prepare for you to be hit by you, didn't have the time to prepare for your impact, the first infraction carries a penalty that you sit as long as the affected player does. 
And if that's not that long, it's a 10-game suspension with no pay. Second offense, 40-game suspension, unless the player is out longer, with no pay. Third offense, a full 82-game, and if it happens with only 20 games left in this season, you sit those 20 and all of next year, but you sit a full season of regular season, playoffs, without pay. Unless it happens in a season where there's at least 80 games left, you're sitting that season and the next one without pay. And on that third offense, there will be a formal hearing by the league, head of the Players Association, representatives for the player and everything, and it will be determined whether you get to play in the league again. Because at three times, that's no longer a problem. That's a habit. And it's a recurring habit. And should that player never return from that injury that you caused, you don't return. You're banned from the league. And that includes not only if the player can't return, that includes if the player can't play to the level that they did because of now impairment, whether it's a sight impairment, whether it's a balance issue, whatever it is, you're done. You're out of the league. And not only are you out of the league, you can't even play an international competition to represent your country because you are a professional disgrace. And if anybody says, oh, well, nobody else does that, oh yeah? Check out international hockey because that isn't a part of the game in Finland, Sweden, Norway, Germany, Slovakia, Slovenia, Czechoslovakia, Switzerland, Austria, many other countries. There seems to be a confusion that cage fighting and hockey might somehow be the same sport. It's not. This is a game of skill and finesse. If you're going to resort to those types of tactics, you don't deserve to play in the NHL or representing your country. You can't be looked up to. You're a professional disgrace. You don't deserve to be there. And that seems harsh. Like I said, it would. But you either want to solve the problem and take that risk of ending people's careers, livelihood, being put in a wheelchair, causing a lifelong disability of some kind. And there's been players such as everybody goes, oh, well, name one. Let's not forget, I know that short-term memory is a real issue. How'd Marty McSorley's hit work out on Steve Moore, who, by the way, never played again, ever. So it happens. And if it happens once, that's too much and not allowed and unacceptable. But like I said, there's ways to resolve problems. The question is, and it's always been a question with this particular topic as well as many others, does anybody really want to do anything about it? Or is lip service as far as it's going to go? Because lip service is kind of like verbal compliments or those types of things. They're free. doesn't cost anything. Nobody has to step up. Whereas if you actually do something about it, compensate somebody for it, actually make a change, that actually takes effort. And that seems to make a lot of people squirm and run away. But it's what's needed. Now, I said we'd get back to one of my favorite topics of all topics that we always talk about, and that is goaltending. And how can we forget about the dreaded three-headed monster that has so many people beside themselves and say that it can't continue to exist, it's just not fair and everything else. And what I'm talking about is the three goaltender situation in the Montreal organization. Not only has it remained, not only has it continued to exist, it's actually benefited the team. Now, some people might say, well, you know, Sam Montembeau doesn't deserve that. Sam Montembeau hasn't earned anything yet. With the exception of, did he play well enough last season to earn a new contract before becoming a restricted or unrestricted free agent. Yes, he did. And he got one. At three years, $9.45 million, with an annual hit of $3.15 million per season. So he got that. He's been compensated for his efforts thus far. But he has not done something that guarantees anointment to the number one prominent position in Montreal. He's played well. 
I'm not saying he hasn't. Certainly plays better than I ever would at the pro level. He made it. I didn't. He got drafted. I didn't. I'm not comparing myself before anybody goes down that useless road. But he's a long way from being talked about like a Martin Brodeur, a Henrik Lundqvist. Okay? And that's just mentioning a couple. Nobody's confusing him there. So let's not get carried away with his value. I like him. He's of the perfect age to be on the team right now. Is he the long-term solution? Who knows? Unless you got a crystal ball, you don't know. But it makes sense to keep him because he's young. He has relatively low mileage, if you will, versus somebody who's been around and has seen a lot of game action. Like a Jake Allen is an example. Okay? Caden Primo. Caden Primo, other than his time at Northeastern University, and when he first got to the NHL, had not impressed the Montreal organization at all. Two years ago, he had a really good playoffs in the AHL. That was the first time since then, since his time at Northeastern, that he really caught Montreal's attention. And then, when he came to camp this year, I'm going to guess that maybe his uncle or dad, respectively Keith or Wayne Primo, might have sat him down over the summer and said, Hey, son, nephew, you might want to pick it up a little bit or you're kind of playing yourself right out of the NHL or into a journeyman backup role at best. Because he came to camp with something to prove, and he's proved it since. His games in Detroit, Vegas, Buffalo, many other games, including he stood on his head in Carolina the other night. Montreal did not lose that game because of Caden Primo. Caden Primo was not the problem. And where Sam Montebo is 27 years of age, Caden Primo is 24 years of age. And like Sam Montebo, has even less wear and tear and mileage on him than Montembo does. So in the current condition of the franchise, in a rebuilding time frame, that is the perfect type of player that if they can hold their own, you want on that team. Because they can play a lot of minutes, they're not tired, they're young, they can grow and develop with the team, and you can see what you have. Now, unfortunately, that leaves out a tremendous team leader, a tremendous mentor, a tremendous influence on not only the other goaltenders, but on other members of the team, and that's Jake Allen. He is just a class act from the ground up. Unfortunately, there are two things that really work against him at this point. His injuries have become more and more commonplace the last two years, though this year so far seems to be relatively healthy. And unfortunately, he's 33, where the other two respectively are 27 for Montembeau and 24 for Caden Primo. So it makes him the obvious choice to trade. Now, if Primo still wasn't ready and still looked really bad, really spotty and unsure of himself like he did last year in his pro games that he played in, I'd say, hey, you know what? Send Primo down, take a chance to see if you lose him on the waiver wire. But he doesn't. He looks solid. You can't keep a 33-year-old and trade a 24-year-old in a rebuilding organization. It just doesn't make sense. And there's a lot of teams suffering a lot of problems in goal for some reason, and many people have hit on this topic this year. Goaltending is just virtually in the trash can right now. Something has changed in the world of goaltenders where whether it's being an ignored position in development at the lower levels, people aren't investing as much in it, people aren't spending as much time in development, whatever it is, something has changed in goal. And right now there is a shortage of high quality goaltenders. So Jake Allen's value is going to continue to grow, especially for a contending team that's looking for a 1A, 1B type goaltender situation where a guy can come in and if something 
something should unfortunately happen to another goaltender on the team, he can come in and transition flawlessly and continue to win games and the team won't lose any ground. And that's exactly what Jake Allen is right now to that type of franchise. So unfortunately, he is the best one to move in that scenario. But at least it sets you up now with you've got Mountain Bow tied up for three years. You'll have Caden Primo, who I think might be wrong on this, but I believe he will need a new contract either at the end of this year or next year. Won't cost you an excessive amount. They're both young. They can both play a lot of minutes. And that allows your Jacob Fowlers, your Evgeny Velkins, Quentin Millers, Emmett Cruteau's, all those to develop, as well as maybe Montreal has another goaltending prospect of greatness or of highly touted status that falls into their lap. Who knows? But it buys you time, which is what Montreal has right now. Montreal is in a luxury position right now to be able to do that. Not a lot of teams are. Only when you're in a rebuilding mode do you get that kind of, as they like to say, honeymoon time. And that evaporates pretty quick. So while you got it, you might as well take it. On that note, thanks for tuning in to episode 82 of the Hockey Free For All podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Stiles. And as always, we will be back very soon with another episode. Thanks again.